It's Rockin' Vino. All right. And welcome to Rockin' Vino. My name is Michelle Marquis, and this is Coco. What's up? How's it going? Hey. Um, I'm super excited because today's guest is someone who you've talked with before on Rockin' Vino. Tell us a little bit yeah. about that. Well, we have Jeremy Carter here. Hello, hello. Hello, how's it going? Good. And you're with Tarpoon Cellars. Yes, Tarpoon Cellars. Which is uh, your baby. It is, yeah, for about <laughs> six years now. Nice. That's crazy. So we had you on the podcast, I think, um, I don't know, it was like two or three years ago. About three years ago, I think, yeah. Yeah, and um, we did a really cool experience with you. So at the time, I think you were promoting this event that you were doing at the Blue Note, where it was a music, wine, and food pairing, where mm. your, one of your favorite bands that you happen to be friends with was doing songs that was a course out dinner, mm-hmm. and essentially every course had its own wine, food, like, you know, and mm-hmm. then the band would play a song that would match with it, which was really, really? cool. And they did a concert after. Yeah, it was really cool. It was Future Birds was out, yeah. and, um, and we've continued to do stuff with them. They're just great guys and great friends, and... Um, and we had a great chef out, and um, we had a theme for each each course. Mm-hmm. And so, like one of the themes was sunshine. And so the um, the chef paired something you know really bright, really floral. Um, you know, we paired like our white blend, I think, that has you know a lot of like tropical notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we had the band would pick two songs, um, and that they would pair. And so it was a true wine, food, and music pairing. And the, the chef would come out and explain why the course, uh, you know, went with that particular theme. Yeah. And then I would explain uh, how the wine paired, and then the band would explain. It was really cool. It was almost like VH1 storytellers type deal. <gasps> yeah, it was rad. And Super so they rad. told like the uh, they they let us have some insight into the the songwriting process and you know kind of what it meant to them. And we got deep i mean we were talking about like brene brown and people were crying and it was great oh, wow. <laughs> yeah yeah that's so amazing so with something like that where do you start do you start with what your theme is going to be does it start with the wine first like what is the impetus for each of those different courses for that one we did we started i kind of just um sat at home and started to think about things that meant a lot to me in my life and themes that i felt like we could translate well to food and music uh, mm-hmm. along with the wine and so we had sunshine, we had the ocean, we had vulnerability, um, we had home, uh, like mm. the overarching concept of home. And, yeah. Um, so it was really cool. And so we started there and um, sometimes I would wait until the chef gave me some ideas into what he was doing. And then I was texting with Carter from Future Birds um, about different ideas, <clears throat> excuse me, for the song, uh, for the songs. And so um, it kind of worked in all different directions. Sometimes I would say, okay, the ocean, like we know this one has some salinity. This is exactly what we're going to do. Right. Okay. And then sometimes I would almost come come in reverse based on what the food or the, the music might be. But it was just a really cool experience for all of us, I think. Ah, and you say you've done something like that since then. Um, we've done a lot of either wine and music, and we do wine and food all the time, obviously. Right. Um, I don't know that we've done a live uh, food, wine, and music uh, experience since then, actually, now that I think about it. So well, yeah, I think it's due. about time. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it was such a cool experience. So huh. it was definitely very memorable. So, And it was cool because it was in the Blue Note, too, and their lighting, you know, is, is really ambient. So it has mm. that, those blue lights, and it just was, it was just a really cool overall experience. But, and the, yeah. the hardest thing I would just add is the hardest thing to do that is the venue uh, because right. you have to have a place that uh, does really good sound which Blue Note obviously already does. Mm-hmm. And you have to have a place with a professional kitchen with a staff that can you know, give an elevated experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they have that, obviously, too. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we had we sold it out. I think there were 44 people or something like that. And so to have you know, those courses come out on time 
um, you know, each time and, and be able to, you know, get up on stage and explain everything. And then also have the chef come out. I mean, like, that's not an easy thing to ask. It's like, yeah, you have yeah. 44 dishes coming out at once five times. But by the way, come out and talk to us for 90 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I didn't even think of all the different things you have to juggle. Totally. Wow. Yeah. So cool. But oh. it was a job well done. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I definitely went from winemaker to uh, event uh, coordinator <laughs> yeah. that, that weekend. But. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit. I did something in Seattle. I can't exactly remember the name of it. It wasn't Cirque du Soleil, but it was like an offshoot of that where they did, it was like a like a, a dinner theater kind mm. of a thing. So they did have wine and uh, plates that came out and they were themed to what was happening in the show. And, you know, the characters were there really interacting and doing like contortionist and dance or juggling or crazy songs or whatever. So it was a really fun experience. But I really like that idea of bringing it even to another level and, and looking at the layers of meaning through all of those different uh, courses and, and elements in it. That's neat. Thank you. Yeah, we loved it. And we love doing stuff that's, you know, educational too. Yeah. Um, that's outside of a traditional tasting experience. Um, we've done educational events with like oyster farmers, um, mm. you know, where we get uh, oyster farmers to come out and talk about the growing process. And we, I talk about why different wines pair well with different oysters. And so anything where we get to kind of, you know, go a little bit deeper and talk mm-hmm. about what we're doing and be with people and see their, you know, reaction. Like that's so exciting for me because most of the time I'm by myself in a vineyard or in the winery and I don't get to, this is almost like playing live music for people, you know, you get to to experience it with them. Um, and, and see how they react, you know, emotionally and things like that. So it's it's just a fun fun way to kind of uh, explore what we do in a different type of way. That's great. We're talking with Jeremy Carter. Jeremy, uh, thanks for joining us, first of all. I don't thanks even think me. we said <laughs> welcome. Uh, he is the winemaker and founding partner for Tarpon Cellars. Uh, so tell us, Tarpon, what is that? Tar- <laughs> tarpon, that's a great question uh, that I get asked a lot in California. So uh, Tarpon <laughs> is a fish okay. and it's... Uh, it's like a sport fish. You don't eat it, um, but it's uh, it's it's a Gulf, mostly Gulf, but um, certainly Southern fish, a little bit on the East Coast. And um, I mean, the the short version is that it's very hard to come up with a name that is not already trademarked. Yeah. <laughs> so you're kind of limited in that. Uh, but uh, I did grow up fly fishing in the Southeast, especially in Florida and Georgia, and um, so and it's a it's a beautiful fish. And so I thought it'd be kind of cool to. Um, you know, to name it after that is kind of like a nod to the South where I'm from. Yeah. Um, and then we also uh, had an artist um, who, Charlie Hanovich, uh, has now done all of our artwork um, for all four of our um, uh, wine series. And he painted a beautiful painting of a tarpon that is uh, is the front label for the two wines that are part of that series. And then we have our most of our production now is actually from a um, uh, or with a, a painting of a crab on it. It's called the Combaro series. And mm-hmm. that's like 97 or 8 uh, percent of our production at this point but um uh, but yeah it's really cool and he he does great with um like portraits of animals like that oh yeah it's absolutely beautiful yeah thank you if you head to tarpensellers.com uh you can see what we're talking about in terms of these labels they're very beautiful i love that idea of first of course wildlife and you know animals beautiful on on wine labels very eye-catching but very colorful impressionistic it's it's really beautiful artwork thank you so much you did a great job with that and uh, i love it just from a you know from a marketing standpoint you can be anywhere and see it across the room and know that that's what it is yeah absolutely i've always appreciated those like very simple um uh, you know, clean labels where you're not like trying to read a bunch of stuff. I mean, we don't even have tarpon sellers on the front. It's just a, the painting of whatever the mm. that particular series is. Yeah, and I was reading that the the Combaro series kind of came about with your desire to, or maybe it just kind of happened um, naturally, but um, to connect with the younger demographics and kind of 
approach that um, in more of a of the way that like craft breweries approach connecting with their with their people. So, how did that come about, and um, and how are you like continuing? How are you continuing to? reach out to that demographic because that is notoriously like a hard demographic for mm-hmm. wines it is and i mean i guess the first um part of it is stylistically the winemaking um you know i came uh, came up in the industry in napa valley uh, mostly working at cabernet places mm. um and so i i love that we still make uh, what i think is a great cabernet uh, in napa and to really showcase what napa valley can do i think is important um, but you know, I'm not drinking a $150 cab on a Tuesday when it's <laughs> mm-hmm. 98 degrees outside and some people are, and, and hopefully they're buying ours. So bless them. But, uh, but you know, like for me, if I'm going to, you know, a dinner in the summer and I'm getting oysters and vegetables, uh, and some, some of the lighter fare that I typically eat, uh, I'm typically, you know, getting like a very crisp, dry, you know, white wine or a rosé or, mm-hmm. or skin contact. And, um, I just felt like there wasn't as much of that in California as I would have liked to see. And so um, I ended up, you know, typically reaching for old world wines. And mm. I thought it'd be really fun to just kind of do, um, you know, something along those those lines that uh, showcases what we can do in California in terms of growing these, you know, warmer varieties uh, of grape and uh, making things that are a little bit lower ABV, a little bit higher mm-hmm. acid, mm-hmm. Um, you know, definitely bone dry. Um, and also, you know, we do all native yeast uh, fermentations, and so we don't really add anything or take anything away. And so I don't necessarily use the term natural wine because right. that's just a whole other conversation. Yeah, I yeah, can't um, get there, yeah. <laughs> but some people call it that, and I okay. think that's fair. I mean, we, we do a very light filtration going to the bottling line, and that's about it. So, um, But I wanted to, to um, you know, introduce these wines also to people that I felt like the wine industry, um, you know, we were kind of losing a lot of this younger audience to um, you know, craft beer, craft distilling, cocktails. Uh, I mean, one thing that's always been interesting to me is that let's just say you're spending fifteen dollars on a drink, which for most people is a very, very high you know amount. But yeah. for us in California, maybe not so much. But, <laughs> um, but you know, if you have fourteen or fifteen dollars, are you really going to get that great of a glass of wine, or are you going to be better served? You know, like for fifteen dollars, you can get a really, really good beer. You can get a really, really good cocktail. Um, and so part of it was that, too, of bringing the price point down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why we work with a lot of fruit from Clarksburg, actually. Um, there's a, a sustainable vineyard out there. It's like a fifth-generation farming family called uh, Herringer. And they grow so many different types of grapes, uh, which I also think is really, really fun. I mean, don't get me wrong. I enjoy Chardonnay. I enjoy Pinot. Um, but to be able to make, you know, we do a white blend that's Verdejo-based. Uh, we do a skin contact Chenin Blanc. We do a rosé of Tempranillo. And so to be able to highlight some of these different grapes to me has been really, really fun. Um, but then also, you know, I think the wine, uh, the wine industry historically has done a pretty poor job of marketing uh, to a younger audience um, for, you know, myriad reasons. I mean, A, you know, there's not a lot of 24-year-olds with disposable income to buy a $150 bottle of cab. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, it's always been kind of um, exclusive uh, and kind of... Um, I'm trying to think of a better word than snobby, but I mean, snobby is probably the right word. And um, so we wanted to make something that's a little bit more inclusive mm-hmm. uh, and kind of build a community around not only wine, but um, where I really enjoy our job is is bringing people in that, um, you know, enjoy really good food, enjoy really good beer and really good cocktails, and maybe just haven't had the right experience with wine because they've either been turned off by somebody that was, you know, rude to them about maybe not understanding as much about wine as they did, um, or just being intimidated by, I mean, even just going into a really nice retail shop, you're intimidated by the different kinds of labels, varietals, you know, obviously European wines are not labeled by grape and ours are. And, um, so I feel like there's a a barrier to entry for young people, 
Uh, and so we wanted to kind of just break down that barrier a little bit. And um, we've done that, you know, through music. I feel like uh, Lillian is our marketing director. She does a great job on, on social and Instagram. And we do a lot of things that are maybe outside of a typical uh, winery in terms of events. I mean, sometimes we do just like a pool party. We did a pool party in, oh, in Charleston like a month ago. And it was just like we had a couple DJs and we had a lot of rosé and, and <laughs> white wine. And That sounds like a good time. Uh-huh. We had like water, salted watermelon bites and oysters wow, and stuff. Fun. But it was mostly just people ha- hanging out and having a good time and realizing that, you know, you don't have to be drinking beer or, or White Claw or whatever to, right. to have a good time. You can actually enjoy a well-made uh, you know, beverage that's um, not the white claws, not well made, but um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but that can, wine can be that fun experience too. It does that. not have to be snobby. It does not have to be a psalm. You know, giving you a list of seventy different you know rosés. You can you can have something that's delicious and wonderful and easy to drink. Exactly, and I think that's such a fine line too that we try to walk. Is you know we're making in a lot of ways very nerdy wines. I mean, like you know, skin contact and Blanc from Clarksburg, like that usually psalms get excited about stuff like that so it's great to kind of have buy-in from them uh but then also be able to take that same wine and have it be approachable for other people and that's i think where a lot of my like job satisfaction comes from is is being able to take a wine that in in a lot of ways is kind of nerdy but then uh share it with people who are kind of getting into wine so Mm -hmm. This is so fun. We're talking with Jeremy Carter. He's the winemaker and founding partner of Tarpon Cellars. You can find out more information at tarponcellars.com. You're listening to Rock and Vino. We'll be right back. It's Rock and Vino. All right. Welcome back to Rock and Vino. It's brought to you by American Ag Credit. I am Michelle, and that is Coco. Hey, Coco. Hello. And we are talking with Jeremy Carter. He is the winemaker and founding partner for Tarpon Cellars. You can find out more information at tarponcellars.com. That's T A R P O N cellars.com. So you are uh, from the South, from Georgia. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up in the wine world. Yeah, definitely. So I, I did. I grew up uh, just outside of Atlanta, kind of in the suburbs uh, of North Georgia. Um, and I would not say that I came from a wine family. Um, like, I always tell the joke that, like, uh, some people I hear that are in winemaking now or in wine in general are like, yeah, I grew up and my parents were, like, you know, watering down uh, white burgundy for me at the dinner table. And, like, we were not that family. Yeah. <laughs> like, my mom was drinking, like, Smirnoff Ice. and like, <laughs> um, So, but, uh, but in college, uh, I was in college for a little bit. And so towards the end of my college career, uh, I kind of got into um, food first, really, and uh, even looked at going into cul- to culinary school. Mm-hmm. Um, but wine, you know, certainly came with that. And so, um, uh, you know, I started to just drink a little bit more and, and actually came out to Napa uh, with my dad um, probably 2006 and um, just had a, you know, a wonderful experience, like a lot of people the first time in, in wine country and thought, you know, this is something that I could really get into. And so, my, my plan was actually to to open a wine bar in Atlanta, probably, or somewhere in the south. And um, I got an internship uh, at a small family winery um, in Rutherford. And uh, so I came out here in 2007 with the idea that it was just going to be for like three or four months. And um, I actually thought it was going to be a tasting room internship. I, I was more interested on the hospitality side. Mm-hmm. And when I got here, um, they, the winemaker kind of laughed and was like, no, this is a harvest internship. Like, you're going to be driving a forklift and scrubbing tanks and... Um, picking grapes and all that stuff so um, it was wonderful and uh, I worked harder than I ever imagined that I would be (laughs) like a lot of people Um, and it was not you know this um, 
you know, glorified uh, position that I think a lot of people think when they hear that somebody's going to work for a winery, they're like, oh, wow, they're just going to be like in the air conditioning, swirling wine. Um, And it was like, you know, you come home and your boots are wet and your hair's wet and there's grapes in between your toes and stuff. um, But I loved it. And so uh, I kind of always knew that I was not cut out for an office uh, type of job just with my personality and and crippling ADHD. (laughs) And so um, (laughs) uh, I decided that, you know, this could be a career. Uh, So I ended up staying. I never went back to Atlanta, um, took classes at UC Davis, uh, did like their distance learning program Mm -hmm. and uh, did that while I was working at another winery. So I was at, I was at William Harrison first, excuse me, uh, and then Luna uh, for about three years. And they were nice enough to let me go down to New Zealand. I did a harvest in Marlboro. Oh, cool. uh, Made a lot of Sauvignon Blanc. And, um, And then when I came back, uh, I was at Chapelet for a little bit. Um, Where else? Oh, Duckhorn. I love Duckhorn. Wow, that's Um, great. And then I was um, over in Sonoma for a little bit as well when I was living in Healdsburg. But I basically worked for other wineries for about 10, 11 years. Uh, And then we started um, Tarpon Cellars in 2017. So uh, we're about to do our, what is the seventh? Seventh harvest? Nice. That's crazy. crazy. It is crazy. Time flies. (laughs) Yeah. So when you say we, who did you start your winery with? So I have a business partner in Atlanta, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he's been wonderful. He's been, he kind of, I had a very small label when I was first out here. Like we literally made three barrels of Cabernet every year. And uh, he was our, our biggest purchaser and biggest fan. And uh, he said, you know, if you ever want to try to do something, um, you know, on a, on a bigger scale, um, we should meet up. And uh, he, he was somebody I went to college with, Parrish Owens is his name. And, uh, and eventually we kind of settled, like 2017, we started talking and I was like, you know, I think I'm ready. Um, so he's, he and I started it. And then, um, and then for a long time, it was just me. I mean, I think the first three or four years, even when we talked three years ago, it was yeah. just me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, we hired uh, Lillian, uh, who was our marketing director, was our second employee in 2021. And uh, we actually just had a call that I, I came straight here from, um, and we had seven employees on the call. Wow. And I was like, holy cow. How Look that, at that. that <laughs> That's amazing. So, um, it's, yeah, it's been exciting. And, um, you know, we're in, I think we're in 17 states now, distribution-wise, with uh, like three more in the works. And, um, yeah, we have a, a, a gentleman in New York uh, that's doing Northeast sales for us. Okay. And um, we actually have a winemaking intern this year for the first time. Wow. Who, uh, we're looking to to make assistant winemaker uh, when that's done. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's really been, it's been crazy even just the last uh, six months with just um, growing and, and bringing on new people. And uh, so I'm really excited about that. And so where, um, well, congratulations on that growth. That's amazing. Thank you. Um, and so um, I see that you're in the second week of harvest right now. So working on the next batch of wines. Um, but where can people find your wines? Mm-hmm. So that is a great question. So um, we are we make our wine at Silenus Vintners, which mm. is a custom crush facility yeah. um, at Oak Knoll in, in 29, basically. Uh, and so we have a shared tasting room with them, uh, which is great because it's basically all the small brands, um, you know, that, that make wine there. Okay. So you can go in and try, you know, six or seven different different brands, and it's great. Um, we also uh, just started doing private tastings. Uh, mm. We have like a barn kind of over by the winery um, that we can uh, that we can bring people out to. Um, and then to be honest with distribution, I was just having this discussion yesterday. I mean, when I was out here, we did a small amount of distribution um, wholesale just with people that I was friends with. And then being on the East Coast so much working on that, we kind of got away from it. We, but we actually just hired somebody. 
uh, in California that lives downtown Napa uh, that's going to do some wholesale stuff for us as, along with the private tastings. Awesome. Um, so we're looking into uh, you know getting into some accounts out here um, because we haven't really done that in a long in a long time. I mean, Market and Saint Helena has always been a great partner, and I think they might still be carrying some of our whites and rosés and stuff. And um, you know, Acme and Saint Helena has been a great retail partner, but. Um, you know, we're looking forward to expanding that more because uh, uh, we want, we're in Napa and we want people in Napa to be able to try us. Yeah, absolutely. That's lovely. Um, so let's talk a little bit about some of the wines that you have, uh, especially these new ones that are in a price point, $30 and under, I believe is what it says on the, on the website. Um, so tell us a little bit about these fun wines and what makes them different from your previous wines. Yeah, I mean, I think the most obvious thing is the price point that you mentioned. Um, and we're able to do that because we work with uh, this grower that I was mentioning in Clarksburg. Mm-hmm. Um, and just from an economic standpoint, I mean, we can get so many different kinds of grapes from over there um, at a price uh, that, you know, that makes sense for us to sell these wines at, you know, sometimes $22 retail, $24 retail. Um, and that also helps with wholesale, too, because then you can get down into the, you know, by the glass. And uh, so it's been really, really fun to kind of make wines that are more approachable in terms of price point. Um, but, uh, you know, we do four wines in this series. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a white blend, a rosé, a skin contact, and a chilled red. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the white blend is really fun because we take a lot of, um, you know, Spanish varietals uh, and try to make almost like a vino verde. Um, mm. It's like it ends up tasting like a floral vino verde, uh, but it's in California. And, you know, I was inspired a lot by um, when I was traveling in Spain and Portugal and different places. And, you know, you'd go to like a mom and pop seafood restaurant and they'd bring out like the you know bucket of mussels the jug wine right and, and the like jug wine big, right yeah exactly <clears throat> <laughs> and uh you know i remember drinking like a you know a white blend at, at one of those places and i was like this might be like the best white wine i've ever had <laughs> and it was like three euros for a liter yeah wow yeah. and uh but you know that was exactly what i thought i was like why don't we make more of this in california and so um this is a verdejo and alberino based white blend that's got a little bit of pinot gris but a little bit of sauvignon blanc but you know very high in acid mm-hmm. um and just very fun and very dry uh and then the rosé is the rosé is probably the most classic style that we make just because it's it's almost like a provence style but tempranillo based um but you know we do whole cluster direct to press we pick it just for rosé we don't do a saunier or anything and so mm-hmm. it's because we pick so early really with all four of these wines you know the alcohol ends up being like sometimes 10.4 10.8 but that's you know, great 11.2 11.4 is about as high as it gets wow um and so you can it's have very, a couple glasses and not like worry exactly <laughs> very crushable exactly yeah, we yeah. use that that term a lot lately yeah. um, and then the skin contact is uh i mean it is an orange wine made with chenin blanc um, but we tried to make it very, um, you know, clean and still fruit driven. I love the funky stuff, but sometimes you don't want to sit around and finish a bottle of like the super funky orange wines. Right. So we wanted mm-hmm. to make kind of an approachable, I call it a gateway orange wine because oh, it's a go. great way to kind of introduce people <laughs> to the style of, you know, having tannin in a white wine. And yeah. we have some certainly interesting, um, you know, aromatics and even flavor characteristics. I mean, this one to me has like some ginger and some hops, hmm. um, but it's still a lot of like granny Smith apple and red pear, but. It's actually a great sushi wine. Which, and it's uh, beautiful. It, the color on that Thank is you. just bright coral and beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> It is. I mean, it's almost, some years it's darker than our rosé. Really, yeah. But it's just like that amber That's copper. Fun. I yeah. love it. Uh, and then the chilled red has actually probably been our most successful wine, just in terms of um, how it does in the market. But uh, it is a 100% carbonic blend, so we do all carbonic maceration. Um, and it's got quite a few grapes. It used to be 100% Nebbiolo, and then we added Primitivo. Mm. And it's still Nebbiolo Primitivo based, but we've got a little bit of Grenache, a little bit of Syrah, um, a little bit of Mervet, actually. Um, but we do all carbonic maceration, um, and again, just picking super early. So it's, I mean, even that wine is like, I think 11.2 for a red is crazy. 
Um, but it's bone dry and very like, you know, being, ch- it's almost like the lightest Pinot you've ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, uh, you know, being cherry and Twizzler and, you know, licorice and all that kinds of stuff. So, nice. but, but also bone dry. And so we serve it chilled, um, but it's versatile in terms of, you know, it's actually a great Thanksgiving wine cause it's got so much cranberry stuff uh, in it. Okay. I can see so, that. Yeah. And the, and the, the more, the closer it gets in temperature to, um, cellar temperature, the more tannin, you know, the, the tannin shows up more. So, hmm. I mean, we have people that serve it like by the glass at pools, which I think is awesome. Like how many red wines can you serve at the, serve at a pool? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, and they serve it ice cold, obviously. And then we have, you know, all the way up to people have done, you know, pairings with like a short rib at a, at a really nice wine dinner. So wow. it's kind of a fun one. And it's, and the more grapes that we've added to, to that profile, the more uh, complexity we get. So it's, it's fun because it can be like a crushable red chilled wine but it can also be a very serious complex you know white tablecloth uh, red wine as well Great. and we can buy all of these wines on your website at tarponcellars.com yes and actually you know for people in california that's probably the easiest way because um, we do a very customizable wine club that mm-hmm. you know would get delivered the next day you don't have to worry about shipping shipping oh, in california wow. is very easy um, sometimes going to the east coast it's hard especially in the warmer months yeah but, um, but yeah, the wine club is great. And then, um, yeah, and then ordering online, we can deliver anytime too. Love it. Yeah, I'm looking at your wine club right now. It looks, it's pretty cool. So it's almost like subscription based. Like, you it know, is. it is. Okay, cool. Like every month, every two months, every three months, every four. Like, that's pretty awesome that you guys are doing that. I think that's the way of the future. Yeah. You know, we just started yeah. that and I'm really excited about it. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, I think. We, we used to have like, we started off with one tier of wine club and it's like, you get X amount of shipments every quarter. And then we, you know, when we, as we introduced more wines, we would do different tiers. Um, but people really do want that customization. I mean, mm-hmm. we have people that just want like six bottles of rosé every month. Yeah. We have people that just want like, you know, a case of Cabernet every, you know, twice, twice a year. Um, so you, it really allows you to, to, you know, pick out what you want and what you drink instead of kind of making what we want to sell oh, <laughs> into yeah, that box. No, that's great. That's wonderful. That's yeah. also thinking of your customer because it feels like you're really like focusing on the customer and the customer experience with this. It's very it, cool. Exactly. Uh, we are talking with Jeremy Carter. He is the winemaker and founding partner of Tarpon Cellars. You can find them online at tarponcellars.com. We are going to dive into even more music and wine pairing in our podcast portion. And if you want to check that out, Head to our website at rockinvino.com, R-O-C-K-N-V-I-N-O.com to hear more conversation with Jeremy Carter of Tarpon Cellars. Thanks so much for being here. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was fun. All right. See you next time, Coco. Bye. It's Rockin' Vino, available where you listen to podcasts. And welcome back to Rockin' Vino. I'm Michelle along with Coco, and we're continuing our conversation, this for our podcast followers, with Jeremy Carter. He is the winemaker and founding partner of Tarpon Cellars. They are starting now your seventh or eighth crush right now? Seventh harvest, yeah. Seventh Seventh. Wow. Uh, you can find out more information and sign up. Uh, you can really customize the way you are getting these wines from Tarpon Cellars at uh, their website, tarponcellars.com. Okay, so one thing that I thought was so fantastic and such a great idea <laughs> is that each of your bottles of wine on the back of them have a code that you can scan, and it takes you to a playlist that pairs with the wine. Tell us about this. It's so cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a Spotify playlist, and um, it started off as just we would type the link on the back label, and now we have a QR code, so you can go directly to it. But, um, yeah, we actually reached out to Spotify when we started the brand, 
um, and we weren't allowed to do it yet because mm-hmm. uh, there were some legal issues with us being an alcohol company and things like right. that. And I was wondering about that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how they get around that. I guess okay. um, it, to follow us on Spotify, I think you have to be 21 is maybe how they did it. Okay. But, um, hmm. but I was so excited when they reached out and said, actually, you know, this sounds like a great idea. Um, and so we were the first, I think we were the first alcohol brand to do that. Wow. Um, definitely the first winery. Um, but it's fun. I mean, it's it's an opportunity for me to just kind of personalize the wine experience for you know, our community. And, um, it started off a lot of, and it still is in many ways, uh, kind of what I was listening to during harvest. Yeah. So, um, you know, whether I'm driving to the vineyard or walking the vineyard or on the crush pad or in the cellar, I'm always listening to music. And so I keep track of, of, of what we're listening to. And at some point, like there are certain songs that remind me of, um, you know, certain vineyards just because I was listening to it, pulling up or mm. listening to it during the pick or whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. even, like 2018, uh, I was listening a lot to like this one Sharon Van Etten song, like every time the sun comes up. And I still think of when I taste that wine or when I'm in that vineyard block, I still think about that song. And so wow, that's cool. I thought it'd be a cool way to kind of tie that experience uh, and share that with people that are drinking the wine. And um, so it ends up being a little bit of a soundtrack to that vintage. Um, and then some of it is just thematic. I kind of like to um, you know, like if there's a, we have a tropical wine, um, and I try to do like surf rock, you know, themes for that okay. one and it doesn't fit into any, any box or genre for every single playlist, but, right. um, but I try to organize it like that too. And, and then sometimes there's just songs that come up that just maybe mean something to me or even just like the name of the song. Like there's a, there's a Kevin Morby song called beautiful strangers. And, um, I love that song. And, um, we were making Rose last year uh, or 2021, I think. And we were introducing all these different, um, new grapes to the Rose. Like oh, it had always okay, been a hundred percent Tempranillo. Right. Yeah. And I was working with these new grapes and, um, and I happened to be listening to that song, Beautiful Strangers. And I was like, Oh, these are all like little beautiful strangers. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome them into the, into the mix. That's yeah. so cool. Very, very fun. Uh, so this is something that as you're working on the wine, it, 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 all of the songs you're listening to are informing you. Is there anybody else who helps you put together these lists or is it solely your, your baby? There is now. And, um, um, so Lillian helps with uh, some of the playlists. Mm-hmm. Is we've collaborated on some, not for the wines, but we'll do like a, um, if we do like a certain wine dinner, we might do a playlist for that one, or we'll do like a summer pool party playlist, and we'll mm-hmm. collaborate on those. But it's funny because uh, she's quite a bit uh, younger than I am. I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but um, <laughs> uh, but so she has a little bit, uh, you know, probably better taste than I do. I think for a long time people were like, "How many more Grateful Dead songs are you going to put on this playlist?" That's adorable. Um, but I've branched out a lot recently too. But um, uh, but no, I think it's fun to have you know kind of a different set of eyes. And uh, we were actually talking today as a team that um, you know as we start to introduce some of these new employees on both the website and social and Instagram, um, you know, we should all just come up with our own playlist of like what we're listening to right now. Yeah. I think music is just such a big part of what we do and, um, you know, who doesn't love a playlist? So, uh, we try to incorporate that in, into as many things as we can. Yeah. It's I'm so checking cool. out your playlist. I mean, they're really fun. You got some really fun artists on here. Um, John Prine, you got the Beatles, you've got Warren Zevon. I mean, so many fun, like artists and songs for, for the different wines. Like I, I mean, yeah. You know, I would definitely listen to this while drinking your wine. You know? Well, thank you. Yeah. And it's been really cool to kind of, one thing that I'm proud of is that we, we try to highlight, um, you know, new artists mm-hmm. um, and a, a wide, you know, array of artists um, to kind of introduce them, much like we're introducing, you know, Verdejo and Albarino to people we want to introduce, you know, some up and coming artists. And so um, mm-hmm. I go to Newport Folk Fest every year. Um, mm-hmm. And so I've gotten for about the last six or seven years. And so I've gotten really into 
more singer songwriter stuff. And I think I kind of got in a rut when I was like in my twenties and, and even beyond where I was only listening to, to like old bands, like and most of them were dead. <laughs> and so, yeah. um, you know, so it's been really cool. I mean, there's so much good music being made and I think yeah. I just wasn't paying attention. And so the last, you know, I would say five or six years to really, um, you know, to, to experience some of these new young artists and, and even become friends with them. I mean, I spent a lot of time in Charleston and Charleston, South Carolina has this incredible music scene. Uh, you know, bands like Susto and She Returns for More and a lot of young and up and coming uh, singer songwriters are there. And so to be able to kind of highlight what they're doing and we have done events with them mm-hmm. um, in Charleston and Austin and, and beyond. So um, that's one thing that I'm really proud of. So let's talk a little bit about um, your winery and events. I think it's so much fun. And also that is definitely a way to open up your brand to a younger audience or to, to find those targets that you're looking for, those demographics. Uh, so how, I mean, how much of your life is spent on trying to go to these different events or, you know, preparing yourself together with existing events? Uh, too much of it, probably, <laughs> in the last two years. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, it's it's been really, really fun. It's been incredible. But, I mean, I will say in 2022, I think I spent 260 nights in a hotel. Wow. Um, and so, um, I mean, Coco and I were joking earlier, like, <laughs> most for most people, Harvest is, like, this stressful time that they, like, have to get through. And for me, it's it's one of the most relaxing times of my year because I at least get to spend the, the – this my, I at least get to spend every night in the same bed right. uh, for the, the only time for in my whole year. Um, so, uh, it, no, it's been nice. But, um, but no, I mean, we that's one thing that, that we take very seriously is getting out into the market. And, you know, I don't, I don't think that, um, that wine t- uh, typically or historically has invested a lot in, you know, doing events and especially even just smaller events. I mean, mm-hmm. we're not sponsoring like these big, huge festivals necessarily, but we're doing a lot of um, you know, unique individual experiences with musicians. And, um, we do try to support, uh, when like smaller local musicians are doing things, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm on the road a ton and whether it's, um, you know, we try to tie it with market work. So like I'll go to say Austin and, you know, meet with restaurants and retailers during the day and then we'll try to do an event at night. And Mm -hmm. then, I mean, we love wine dinners. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, food, like I mentioned earlier was one of the reasons I got into this industry and there's so many great chefs, uh, currently uh, in California and all throughout the Southeast and, and the entire country. So, um, you know, I, I joked that like I think I did more winemaker dinners than any other winemaker in California in 2022. I mean, we probably did 40 of them. Wow. Um, oh, that's um, intense. That is crazy. But you're getting a lot of good food and wine, you know? I do. And it's, <laughs> uh, sometimes it might be too much of a good thing. Yeah. Like, sometimes I try on a bathing suit and I'm like, this, why is this not fitting? <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, no, it's incredible. It, like It's like anything, I think I need to find a little bit more balance mm-hmm. just in terms of, um, you know, being able to maintain my routine and um, stuff like that. But, uh, but no, it's been wonderful and meeting all these, all these people that, um, you know, are creating uh, great food and the people that are eating the food and it's just been building community is, I mean, it sounds almost cliche, but like, that's really what I feel like we've been doing. Um, and each time that we get into a new state, uh, you know, whether it's Tennessee or New York or, uh, South Carolina, you know, we, we go there and we really try to meet the people that, that make that community so special. And so that's been awesome. Wow, that's so many dinners. I'm thinking about that. That's almost one a week. Like you are barely getting any yeah. time off for that. So is this because over the years you've built up these relationships with different chefs or are you expanding all the time and trying to find new chefs to work with? Um, a little bit of both. I mean, um, Charleston especially has become, you know, basically a second home to me. Uh, and so we have so many great relationships there that it's almost like hard to try to you know be able to fit all of them in. Um, but I mean, I've always felt like when we get into a new market doing a wine dinner with, um, you know, a chef that somebody that that community already trusts, um, Mm, you know, that is a nice way to kind of, um, 
you know, introduce ourselves to those people and do something with people that they already, you know, care about and trust. So um, that's kind of been our strategy, you know, whether it was, you know, Georgia and Florida and Alabama, our first three states, and we did it there. And we've continued to do it, you know, even to these, you know, huge markets like Austin and Nashville and uh, and New York. So uh, we did a wine dinner in New York um, just about a month ago. Um, So it's just been really cool to get up and meet all these different people. Yeah. Oh, gosh, that's so much fun. Yeah. Do you want to do some fun questions? Let's do some music questions. All right. Um, If you could only take three albums with you on a desert island, and these are the albums that you listen to for the rest of time, (laughs) what would they be? Um, Well, I think the first one is is easy. That's Exile on Main Street, Rolling Stones. Um, That's probably my favorite vinyl that I own. And, um, just love it. Um, there is a Susto album, uh, and Susto is one of the bands out of Charleston that I was uh, talking about earlier, and they have an album called uh, I'm Fine Today, um, and it is uh, incredible, and I just listen to it all the time. Um, let's see. What else is out there? <laughs> this is a tough one. It I didn't know you were going to put me on the final third one. Put yeah, me on the, spot, on the spot. I mean, I've been trying to get away from using Grateful Dead for answers for everything, but I mean... Like the Europe seventy two album is pretty pretty good. Yeah, I and mean, I, if you love it, you love it. If you love it, you love it. You, you know? also have to think about listenability, right? If you're going to be listening to this over and over again, it has to be something that you're happy to return to over and over. Again, oh yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. And it's funny because when I think about that question, like I mean, Bob Dylan is one of my favorite uh, songwriters for sure, and I mean, some of his his albums are just incredible. But like, I also think about like if if I was listening to Bob Dylan like for every day for the rest of my life like I don't would know I, would Bob Dylan is great like in two or three hour spurts but like yeah. you know he's he's never claimed to be the best singer of right. all time yeah. Yeah. Um, so there are probably some people that, that maybe wouldn't make the cut just because uh, like you said it's it's I think people that are dynamic um, you know would be good for a desert island experience yeah, yeah that's a good one alright <laughs> Coco? Um, all right. So if you had to lose one of your senses, Ooh. which would you choose and why? Uh, I think that would be easy. I think it would be touch, right? Yeah? Okay. Oh, wow. Actually, that would be nice because then you couldn't feel any pain. That's true. That's a good one. Uh, yeah, I like that. I mean, yeah. I definitely wouldn't want smell or taste. No. Those are top two. Right. I couldn't lose my hearing. If I no. lost my hearing, I'd be so sad. And sight. No thanks. I don't like being in the dark. Yeah, those four are... Sound, all sound really bad. Yeah. But like touch, I don't know. I yeah. think I could go without. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. That's a good answer. Yeah. When I, guess, I, ha- when I had a COVID, I lost my sense of smell for three days and I like went through <laughs> mourning. I was like, oh my God, what if this lasts for like three months, six months or longer? I'm like, I don't even know. And I like had this whole mourning period. It came back after three days, but boy, it was really rough. Yeah. That's lucky though. I mean, yeah. I see people that did lose it for a long time. Right. I know. I don't know what I would do. So sad. Mm. Like I, it's um, just like texture based and then yeah you know? well yeah because then eating I mean because yeah. 90% of taste is smelling too so mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. alright yeah. touch I like that alright it's a good, good solid good answer good answer like yeah alright um, oh, this might be fun especially with knowing what your musical taste and background is if you could go back in time and see any artist perform live who would it be wow I love that question I mean like Jimi Hendrix at Woodstock would be pretty pretty awesome Um, honestly I don't I don't listen to them a ton but I would love to see The Doors with Jim Morrison Mm -hmm. Um, I just feel like that was such a a vibe yeah (laughs) Um, but I mean I'm not old enough to have seen Jerry Garcia either so I mean that would probably be my my honest answer 
Um, we'd be seeing Jerry Garcia play with the Dead. Wow! Did That's you see cool. them on their on their final tour? I saw. So I didn't actually see them on the most recent one. I oh, saw okay. them quite a bit when they were doing the Dead and Company stuff, mm-hmm, but the mm-hmm. timing just didn't work out this year. But yeah. they sounded really good. I heard it was amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they did like this crazy like LED light show thing. I guess they were doing fireworks at first, and then one of the venues was like, "Yeah, you're not doing fireworks here." So they pivoted and did a LED like drone light show oh cool and I guess they liked it so much they continued it on for the rest of the tour hmm. it was pretty neat yeah it looked incredible they did like um, cause they would do fireworks stuff but then they could do like the steal your face logo and all that stuff I, mean, it was, <laughs> I don't really so understand cool. how they did it but it was yeah like, I don't know it seems like magic yeah. yeah, and I mean, for places like California, where we have a huge fire, hazard, right. like, mm-hmm. people were saying, maybe this is what everybody should do. Yeah, I'm sure that would piss a lot of people off. But, yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think the the drone shows are pretty darn pretty cool. They're really neat. I yeah. think they're neat. I mean, I yeah. We'll, well see. And uh, and also, dogs don't have to take anxiety medication before drone shows. I know. There's like there's so many positives to it. You I can think. reuse them. You can reprogram them. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think it's the way. I'm go. all for it for yeah. sure. Personally, <laughs> I am too. Yeah, kind of over uh, people setting off fireworks until like August. 1st. Oh my gosh! Seriously, Ugh. it's like get over it. We <laughs> oh get it. God. You like blowing things up. <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right, Coco. Any more questions? Um, yeah. Um, if you could share a glass of wine with anyone for mm. like about an hour, who would you choose to share that glass of wine with, and what wine would it be? Wow. You guys could have prepped me for this. this I know. Is- sorry. No, no, I'm just kidding. Prep questions. <laughs> um. You know, I'd probably go outside of like wine and music for this one. Mm-hmm. Um, just probably some. I'm just thinking of somebody who I could learn the most from in like you know a few hours of dinner. Yeah. Um. I don't even know if Ramdas drinks. I probably he probably did maybe not. Maybe some tea. But yeah, maybe have some tea. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, I was I I am a huge Ramdas fan. I listen to a lot of his his uh, sermons over the years and um, I just learned so much from him so I would love to have a even a, an NA dinner with him where there was no alcohol involved but yeah. uh, to spend some time with him other than that I mean I would say um, you know I, a musician that I would that I think would be fun musicians are interesting because there's so many uh, musicians who I love and I'm even the ones that I'm friends with but sometimes they're like the kind of like the tortured genius thing you know where it's like I don't know that like sitting down and having a glass of wine with Bob yeah. Dylan would be like that, right. that fun uh-huh. like this uh-huh. guy's um, so I'm thinking about a musician that you know just has a really Tom Petty actually I really yeah uh, I feel like he would be a fun guy to sit down and have a beer with yeah for sure, for um, sure. yeah that's a great question though thanks Nice. Well, um, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for taking the time to come in. I know it's busy because you're in harvest and everything, but uh, this is really fun. And I love the ideas that you have put forth with your label in terms of making this really a rounded experience. Because for us, obviously, music is so important. And to bring that together with the food, with the art, music, wine, all of it coming together is just, it's absolutely perfect. I think you found exactly what you need to be doing. Well, thank you so much. That means a lot to me and thank you guys for having me on it's always great to speak with you Coco yeah. and it's great to meet you it's and nice I just uh, yeah thanks so much for your time right on and uh, be sure to check out uh, for a tasting a private tasting or to head, what is the shared tasting room where you're at that is at Silenus Vintners okay. on uh, 29 Oak Knoll alright excellent but you can find that information on your website yes okay very good at tarpincellars.com is the website Jeremy Carter is the winemaker and founding partner there of Tarpon Cellars this is Rock and Vino Thanks for listening to Rockin' Vino. Check out more great content online 
at rockandvino.com.